0: Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at the Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the True Story FM Entertainment Podcast Network. And I'm Pete Wright, and I'm in Portland, and there are no cellists here. <laughs> Today we are talking about Minute 28, which begins with Tony throwing holograms around the room and ends with two pilots in a quinjet cockpit back on the show it's Jonathan Carlisle hello Jonathan hey all right uh, we are wrapping up this conversation with Tony and Pepper and Agent Phil Colson is awkwardly standing in the back of, of the penthouse um, before we get to the the awkwardness of the scene though we get Tony Tech this is the fun stuff we see and this is where there's obviously an interesting connection between the shield tech. And Tony's tech, which makes me think, maybe to your point, that even if they aren't necessarily wanting him to be part of the S.H.I.E.L.D. initiative, there is some partnership in what they're doing. Because the way that Tony grabs the stuff on the screen with his fingers and just swipes it up into his living space, he, he has a number of different holographic projectors, I guess you would call them. Um, kind of placed around the room and as he throws these images up we suddenly see three different screens um, that kind of show up in front of him um, how does this uh, tech play for you do you like the way that this scene uh,
1: that that all of this appears i like it i have a a desk that i don't work at very often actually at work but uh i have uh when my laptop is all set up i have four screens and uh, to make it even bigger and surrounding would be super cool. <laughs> you know what's great about it that
2: I didn't notice before is that the holographic projectors are not like in the ceiling. They're bars. Yeah. They're bars of, and with, I assume, some sort of plate glass hanging down and rising up out of them because
0: I think they're just extensions of this
2: film uh this thin
0: film acrylic there's they're not glass they're they're like literal holographic images because we saw one of these bars when Tony first comes into the apartment and it it was on his desk and it looked just like a light but there's no glass coming up from it and that's what I find interesting is like I guess the idea of these uh, maybe I'm wrong maybe it is a film that is there but because um,
2: when see, when you watch it when you watch it come up yeah. Right. The the thing that's triggering for me is that you can see like I'm at second one. I'm at second one. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be a long minute. <laughs> and the the you see the illuminated seam around the edge of the glass. And if this were just a hologram, there would I, I have to imagine they wouldn't artificially add that seam illuminated seam around the the plate. Like it is a fixed height and width. It doesn't. It's not like, the especially the ones, uh, you know, frame center, it's not like it goes up above the actual projector below it. Like, it feels designed to me. Like, we can't see it until it's illuminated. But once it's illuminated, we see the hints that there is a limit to how far it can project on some sort of invisible film.
0: I guess we did actually see this earlier in the film, although we d- we weren't necessarily talking about it. But Pepper is looking at one of these screens that is on his desk when he first arrives, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But the thing about it, and if you go back, this is minute 25 when we see this, and and he walks in, we see these bars placed around the space. Like, he walks past, in that minute, one of them that we actually see in this minute, and there's nothing coming up from it. And, when he approaches Pepper, it's not just a flat surface, it is a three-dimensional... Uh, hologram that this thing is literally projecting up above it. And that is something that we do see later because he picks up an element from it and holds it up to his face. Let's get to that in a minute because I'm still perplexed by these things because I don't think that there's a film. I think what we're seeing Yeah, likely, you might be right. I think what we're seeing at second zero slash one in this minute is likely what was on set that they used as a reference for where they needed to put these things. And they were trying to hide it quickly by the fact that these things would just appear fast, you know? Like, that's that's yeah. my sense of it. So you don't want to skip to second 45 is what you're saying right now. You I don't, don't want to done. No. We, we, we have two through 44 to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Andy. This is second a second by second podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I guess what I'm saying is, like, I, I think that these things are designed to be they're designed to look like cool tony holographic tech where he just throws this stuff up there and all of this information appears we're just seeing it kind of flat because likely what they had on set was kind of some flat frames for the cg team to know where to put them
2: it it does remind me of our experience with tony in the courtroom in iron man 2 when he takes over the tv screen like it it's that same sort of thing. Like I, I guess where my brain is going is we're we're talking again about you know the integration of Shield Tech and Stark Tech. And it's quite possible that Shield is using Stark Tech to actually, you know, run their operation, whatever. But it is also possible that Tony's Stark Tech is so good that he can integrate with any system and throw it up on the magic monitors. And I find that appealing as well. Yeah.
0: We're seeing three screens, the first of which is Steve, and it is Delta Assault, and this is an attack on some hydro compound. I Apparently, I I don't know if at the time they were naming all of these or if this was kind of after the fact that they just chose to name them, but we're looking at Delta Assault. We also see uh, the Resuscitation Archive, and it's an image of him getting thawed out. Interestingly, the picture says U.S. Marines, which I thought was a little surprising because uh, he wasn't in the marines but i don't know if maybe at some point he was working with the marines i don't know all of this stuff is interesting clearly they're just compiling stuff for us to catch images of things that we recognize so we get a sense as to oh he's he's learning about all of these things like we see bruce culver university dna images of these green cells and then a world map presumably with his location. And for Thor, I thought it was funny, they actually just have a map of stars up there, and then they have Puente Antiguo attack, uh, and then they have kind of an image of the hammer embedded in the rock uh, that we see throughout that film. Okay, I want to talk to both of you about the reaction from the two of them. It seems the way that this is played, that neither of these two have ever caught any stories about What they're looking at here, like, and it makes me wonder. Like, did Culver University not make it onto the news? Did Puente Antiguo not make it onto the news? Or were they kind of like brushed over? Like, shield, like, pushed to change what the news was reporting on? Because I would think that those were such big things that I would think people would have heard of them. I mean, how does how does your read of their reaction play
1: here?
2: Their reaction of wonder.
1: Yeah, I, I think Pepper's fine. Uh, but Tony, Tony, I'm, I'm surprised because like, did, did he literally think that he was the only Avenger in the Avengers thing? Like, did he not have any other information? (laughs) Like, Oh, there's all these other people. like, I I thought he would at least know that there was other people that they were surveilling.
2: Well, especially because he saw the files,
1: right? Like at the end of Iron
2: Man in the post credit scene, it's not like this is a mystery to him. He knows exactly what it is. I think maybe it's maybe the shock is, oh, my gosh, I've been so busy building my giant clean energy building that I did not know the extent to which these individuals are involved in stuff right sure. now. Like, I, you know, I, I, is it possible? Is it possible that Tony and Pepper did not know about Culver University until they saw this footage?
0: Uh, you know, is it possible they didn't know about the destroyer? Wandering down the street of Puente Antigua. Here's here's my struggle with it. Tony has kind of, I mean, we see in Iron Man 2, he is this person who has set himself up as, I'm going to go around and stop all the bad guys in the world and yeah. do everything I can to keep this planet safe. Like right. I mean, that's kind of that whole crux of the the footage that he's showing of, uh, you know, that's going on when he's talking to the Senate and all that sort of stuff. Like, yeah. I'm stopping crime. Like, I'm great. I'm I'm... I am exactly what this world needs. I would think he'd be paying attention to, oh, there's there's this giant monster that's appeared at Culver University. <laughs> oh, know. there's this giant robot that's destroying a town in New Mexico. Like at a minimum he has a Google alert, alert right? Like <laughs> yeah. at some point. Like that. Yeah. So, and I get it. I I I understand that outside of the realm of the stories themselves, there is, you know, Production companies, there are people, there are rights, there are all these different things that they're trying to do to tell these particular stories. And you have to have this sense of these stories as separate that come together periodically. They're not always together um, through all of the films. And it's just the nature of the beast to a certain extent. But still... I do struggle a little bit that it, he, it just seems like he's never heard of any of this stuff before. And yeah, just, I don't know, even if he had go, Oh yeah. Oh, I, I knew all of these things were out there. I just hadn't, I hadn't thought about them all in a context where it was all something together that I needed to be thinking about.
1: Right. Right. Is it possible that he didn't know that cap has been found and thought
0: out? That's possible. Like, if there's one thing that I think he may not be tapped into, uh, because I would imagine the S.H.I.E.L.D. is, I I don't know, my sense is S.H.I.E.L.D.'s probably hidden that completely from the world.
2: Yeah, I do like that on the image it says that his temperature, Cap's temperature is 37.2 degrees and his heart rate is 76 beats per
0: minute. That is a super, super serum, (laughs) y'all. Although it does make you wonder what he's doing. Like, I guess he's just sleeping the whole time. Yeah. yeah, it's
2: it's like locked in.
0: It's like that locked in syndrome,
2: right? Where it's like that uh, Ryan oh, Reynolds God. movie where he was it's yeah, awful. It's like that. He's awake. He's been awake for 70 years, but he's been frozen. So he hasn't been able to do anything. That's that's the horror story version of this oh, that movie. is just the worst. You're welcome.
0: But then he'd be really happy he was out. <laughs>
2: that's right so why why is he brooding all the time look i have one more thing to say and that is my appreciation for the lighting designer not of the scene but of the office that light fixture in the ceiling with seven thousand long light bulbs is glorious
0: unless you have to change it uh i think it's (laughs) very very cool it is a fantastic fantastic thing like it's it looks like a root system Coming down out of the ceiling made of fluorescent tubes. Like You I know just, what it, yeah. it
2: also looks like? Like there there might have been a ceiling fan there at one point, and they they shot this scene and they were like, there's a weird hole in the top of the frame. Let's fill it with a weird light. And that was like, <laughs> wouldn't it be interesting if that was the last thing they did
0: for this shot? I think it's great. That big would fan. be very funny. Yeah. Big fan. Big fan. Uh, all right. So you know the the flirtation between tony and pepper wraps up here as uh as they kind of um say their goodbyes she's going to head off to dc because she's got stuff to do there and um and then there is this cute flirty whisper that she gives him about uh you know if they if he finishes up early because you know he's got a lot of homework but uh it's very cute and then she whispers in him robert downey jr's face is fantastic Agent Coulson's face is fantastic. What do you two think about kind of like the wrap up of this moment between Tony and Pepper?
2: I can't I can't talk about what I think she says. <laughs> That's a problematic bit for this for this podcast because of the nature of the podcast. I'm just sure. saying. Yes. But I do have thoughts. I'm just going to keep them to myself. Okay. I love it. It's so adorable. It's adorable. It's adorable and intimate and funny. And it's a great cap on on their uh relationship that we've had with them for the last two or three minutes. And uh it's it is just it's adorable. It's perfect. It's a perfect way to because he is he is a slave to hormones, too. Right. Like that is just yet another example of his human side. Like, you know that's one of the most fun things about this movie is we spend more time with these characters as humans than we do as you know as their alter ego superheroes uh, in the so much of the first part of this movie and it's it's just really great to get to experience them in real life and uh, so we'll talk about the post credit scene for this movie about how it it's sort of a, it's it's a great big superhero Oreo cookie where we start with them as humans and we end with them very much as humans uh, so. I think it's wonderful.
1: I'm glad that they don't reveal in any way what she says, um, because it <laughs> you, you could easily put in a joke at the end of the movie of like, you know, hey, I got the thing you wanted, but it's like, you know, it's not it, it's something completely innocent and just kind of funny. But uh, right, um, I don't know, like I like it because this this whole scene, yesterday's minute, today's minute, it just shows that Pepper and Tony are more on even levels now at this point in their relationship that she she still knows how to get his attention no matter what it is that she's whispering and yeah you know that he's because he especially in the first movie yeah uh he's just that kind of personality he can just kind of kind of kind of flittery almost where he can just kind of go wherever and his brain just goes Um uh, but she she knows how to like snap them back in yeah that's
0: exactly it right which you know to a certain extent she does here she's like tells him no you've got work to do i'm leaving no more distractions for you mister and she heads out so she asks phil if he can drop her off at LaGuardia, which you know makes sense it's a fairly close airport to where they're uh where they are at the metlife building and then This is where you get this uh, character moment that, again, speaks to this, you know, something that had been going on between Pepper and Phil over the years as far as, like— developing a friendship oh you know work friendship you know business friendship whatever it is that there is this relationship this sense of this growing relationship here because she asks him oh i want to hear about the cellist is that still a thing and he says she moved back to portland and then her fantastic what boo <laughs> just I, I love this moment um the cellist you want to talk about the cellist a little bit what about the cellist there's no cellist in portland <laughs> <laughs> uh, she moved back to Portland, though.
2: <laughs> nope. It's never been here. It's
1: fake news. I didn't I, <laughs> I didn't catch what she said, and I was actually, I was kind of listening to it, but I didn't dig too deep into it, and um, that's interesting, because I think they carry that over into Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., don't they? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So that's, that's pretty cool. I didn't realize that's what she said at all, so. Well, it's so quiet,
0: and that's what's so interesting, because I had heard people talking about Phil and the cellist. And and I was like, I don't remember that ever, you know, coming up in the movie. And it's because it's it's such a throwaway bit of their conversation that they have here, you know, as they're kind of, because we're focused on Tony and we're looking at him. Oh, he's really studying the screen. He's looking at Loki. He's looking at the Tesseract. And we kind of get this sense of him being more specifically focused on that. So that's what we're paying attention to. And so it's such an interesting throwaway conversation that then they said, hey, you know what? Let's continue that story thread. And honestly, I don't even know where that story thread ended up going in the TV show. Pete, do you have any information. Yeah, about...
2: I mean I it was uh the character is Audrey Nathan and uh played by the wonderful Amy Acker who's kind of a regular in uh you know whedon verse and um but it, it was not a it was not a significant storyline. It was a way to introduce us to uh another kind of miscellaneous villain of the week um character. Uh I think she was only in one episode The rest is just talking about her over the course of Phil's overall experience. But it's pretty short, because Phil has a lot of complicated romantic liaisons
0: (laughs) in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And that's just one of them. Yeah. He's a a romantic. What can I say?
2: He's a lover.
0: He's a lover. All right, Pete. Now let's talk about the Tesseract. So, yes. So, we're finally... We're finally getting to second 45, 46. This is where you have Tony. He's studying the screen in front of him. You've got the, whatever the device is called, the Tesseract Holder, the thing that uh, Eric had been building at the beginning of the film, and then we uh, will be seeing him working on that in Loki's lair. It's something for the Tesseract to sit in and for them to do in some capacity, but this is where we get that moment where Tony reaches into the hologram and pulls up the Tesseract so that he can hold it and study it. Well, this is the problem because I spent the first
2: minute of or five minutes of this episode talking about one second where I actually thought that it was just a, a plate. And then he reaches <laughs> into the plate and picks up a, a holographic uh, object. So it really is more like his home setup uh, and not, not an abbreviated kind of mobile version of it.
0: Yeah.
1: No, it's kind of cool. What do you think of it, Jonathan? I I think this is, I mean, they're fulfilling dreams here, you know, just the future of technology (laughs) to be able to take our 2D screens and to pull pieces out to be able to turn things around and look at them. Uh, Yeah.
0: I mean, you look at the evolution of technology in movies and you look at a movie like Minority Report, which is so cool to have like Tom Cruise, have that glass screen in front of him where he was just moving stuff around and and kind of creating stuff. And now it's like, we're all sliding our fingers around on glass devices all the time. I'm still waiting for them to be quite as as evolved as they are there. But then once you get to this holographic level where Tony's at, like, that's what I'm waiting for, where we can actually have these holographic projectors in our Uh, living space that just kind of project an image up from them that we can actually interact with i mean it's yeah yeah it's pretty exciting to think about things like this and it's interesting to see i mean tony is so adept at using these sorts of things it's really kind of fun to see him playing around with it what what do you think of the way he looks at the tesseract is this is there some hint there because he kind of looks at it in an interesting way is it like huh, this, this looks like a source of energy. Like, I mean, he's got a serious look at it, like he's pensive about it. And he's thinking about it. Is there some element that you think were meant to think, like, did he look at some paperwork from his dads at some point and read something about this? Because the way he looks at this makes me think he kind of recognizes it. Am I reading into this? Or is do you think any of
1: that's could could have been there? It could be. uh, There is recognition, whether it's recognition of like a energy signature or a recognition of an object or, you know, something. Uh, I don't know what, but but what we've seen him working with, you know, what powers his suit and everything is energy. So I imagine that he's intrigued by, by what's there.
2: Yeah, it's it's really like he could be just staring at it. But really, the twist is at the end when he's looking at this holographic fake thing in his hand and then he looks up. And it's that pensive gaze into the middle distance off camera that makes you think he has some sort of recognition. That's what makes me think that, too. So, I mean, I agree with you. What is it? Is it something that he can use to, you know, upgrade his suit? Who knows? I, but clearly, he he's thinking something. I, I like it. I mean, I I like that it's—and I and we never get any sort of answer to that. Like, we never get any sort of, of indication that he knew what was coming.
0: No, we don't. And that, I mean, I suppose that, that would have been something that I would have expected in the film if we were meant to think that he had seen something of his father's at some point that talked about this and, and he was putting two and two together. Like, I feel like he would have brought that up. Like I, I recognized it from dad's work or something, yeah. but it never comes up. But I, it just the look here makes me wonder, like, and maybe it was just Robert Downey Jr. playing that way. Like maybe he had it in the back of his mind and it's never been actually something that's in there, but there is that look. And I, I just find it really interesting. And I guess to the whole point of performers and the work that they do coming up with things like that look that he, when he raises his eyes, I think that there's a lot there, you know?
1: For sure. Yeah. I don't know. Do you think his dad maybe told him any like bedtime stories about a cube or something? And he's like, oh, <laughs> that was real. <laughs> Captain America and the cube. That's... Yeah. Maybe.
0: <laughs> Tonight, son, we're going to talk about Captain America and the cube.
1: Captain America and the cube.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I want that to be like a little bedtime book now, though. You know, a little, um, what were those books like the ad- adaptations that we had like golden? Uh, was like the, um, little golden books oh little golden books yeah i want the little golden book <laughs> captain america and the and the cube mm. well all right well this is our end of this scene and then the last uh you know eight seconds or so of this we go to the ocean we are now flying over the sea and uh we see a jet flying toward us um this is, of course, a Quinjet. We're probably, we should probably save most of our conversation about the Quinjet tomorrow. Um, but uh, we get a very brief look at the exterior of a Quinjet. And then we cut to the inside as we see the two pilots flying and the camera starts pulling back. We don't get much farther than that. That's where the minute ends. Um, I don't know. Do you two want to talk about Quinjets or should we just save that for our conversation tomorrow? Save it. I think we should save Quinjets for, for another minute. Well, it's definitely going to make for a fun minute tomorrow to talk about the Quin Jets. That's it for today, though. So, uh, Jonathan, uh, tell everybody again about uh, the stuff that you're working on, where they can track it down.
1: Oh, I'm not working on anything. It's it's so fun to <laughs> to, to watch to watch you guys work on stuff and just go back to back with things. Uh, uh, minute, movie by minute, retiree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll come out of retirement at some point, but uh, but it is fun. You know, just go listen to the Princess Bride Minute. And, you know, that's it, probably been, I don't even know, five years since we did that now. It, it seems it seems crazy. But, uh, but, yeah, maybe. We did that, like, around the 30th anniversary. And it seems weird that that movie's going to keep having anniversaries. And, like, I'm going to start having anniversaries of when I did the podcast. Um, <laughs> that's, that's interesting. <laughs> that happens. Definitely happens.
0: Well, we'll have the link for that in our show notes, along with UHF sixty second. Check those out, everybody. Lots of good stuff. That's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about minute twenty nine. So, Pete, thanks as always. Tomorrow, boys and girls, the seduction of Bruce Banner by Black Widow. You get that? That was a little like
2: a, a little Golden Book note, right? <laughs> Except, I mean, in tomorrow, it's movie? not really. I'm just making up books. I'm just making okay. up books. Maybe I should say tomorrow, boys and girls, the seduction of Agent Colson <laughs> by Captain America.
0: Or maybe the <laughs> other way around. <laughs> okay,
2: okay, okay. One more time. Tomorrow, boys and girls, <laughs> you're gonna keep all of these, aren't you? Just because you're mean. Tomorrow, boys and girls, the seduction of Captain America by Agent Colson.
1: <laughs> A cap and his coulson. <laughs>
0: <laughs> A cap and his coulson. Follow-up to Cap and the Cube.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Until
0: next time, True Believers.
2: Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show.